It's August 2023. Welcome to Muse News, the BCMA's monthly museum sector news podcast. Each month we recap some of the latest breaking news, happenings, and announcements from museums, galleries, and heritage organizations across BC and beyond. I'm Ryan Hunt, joined by my co-anchor, Leah Patterson. Join us as we explore the latest Muse News. Over to you, Leah. Thank you, Ryan. Jellyfish was terror of the sea 500 million years ago. 500 million years ago, the ancient shallow sea in what is now British Columbia teemed with unusual creatures unlike any alive today. But there's one you'd recognize if it swam by, a jellyfish much like those that pulse through today's oceans. Scientists say fossils found in Canada's Burgess Shale are the oldest known creatures that we would recognize as jellyfish, and they were likely the terrors of the sea during the Cambrian geological period. The jellyfish had a bell about 20 centimeters high, as large as a loaf of bread, making it one of the largest creatures at the time, said Joe Maziuk, a PhD student at the University of Toronto and the Royal Ontario Museum who helped describe the species in a new study published Tuesday in the Proceedings of the Royal Society B. The rectangular shape of the bell was similar to that of deadly, venomous, modern-day box jellyfish that live in northern Australia and the Indo-Pacific waters, suggesting that the ancient jellyfish was also a fast and powerful swimmer. Its bell was fringed with more than 90 tentacles, resembling those of the harmless moon jellyfish. A couple of the fossilized jellyfish, among nearly 200 unearthed at the Burgess Shale, have been on public display as part of the Dawn of Life exhibit at the Toronto-based Royal Ontario Museum since the exhibit first opened in 2021. But this week, a nameplate was added underneath, Burgessa medusa fasformis, their new official scientific name. The name means the Burgess Shale jellyfish with a ghostly form, Maziuk explained. Specifically, we thought it looked like the ghost from the game Pac-Man. The new jellyfish species is the first ever found in the Burgess Shale, a 505 million year old fossil bed found in the mountains of BC and considered by UNESCO to be one of the most important in the world. That's because of the amazing preservation there of fossils of a huge diversity of animals from the Cambrian, a time when animal diversity exploded. Back to you, Ryan. World-renowned artists open gallery in small community of Enderby, B.C. If you visited the Museum of Modern Art in New York or other renowned art galleries worldwide, there's a good chance you've encountered some of the installation artworks created by Janet Cardiff and her husband, George Burris Miller. After a decade of having their creations shown across the globe, this Canadian duo has finally found a permanent home to exhibit their art in B.C.'s shoe swap region. The Cardiff Miller Art Warehouse took five years to come to fruition. It opened on January 29th in Enderby, a community with around 3,000 residents located about 80 kilometers north of Kelowna. The couple bought a repurposed 50-year-old space situated at 507 Granville Street, which was formerly the showroom and warehouse of a furniture store. Quote, When we came across this space, we just fell in love with it. It's two buildings with 9,600 square feet each and high ceilings, said Cardiff. The museum features four installations, including the marionette maker created by Cardiff in 2014. This piece was displayed in various international galleries, including the Reña Sofia Museum in Madrid, and features a full-scale vintage caravan housing robotic characters, 
including a silicon mannequin modeled after Cardiff herself, creating a haunting atmosphere. The couple has promised to provide more of their artwork to the museum collection in the future. They also plan to expand the museum by adding a library and a cafe, making it a welcome space for tours, especially for school children and university students studying art. The museum is currently open Friday through Sunday every week from 11 a.m. to 5 p.m. with a standard admission fee of $10 and a reduced rate for students. Vancouver Translator Finally Compensated for an Authorized Work in British Museum A translator says she's reached a settlement with the British Museum over the unauthorized use of her work. Vancouver-based Yilin Wang says the museum has agreed to compensate her for translations that are a part of an ongoing exhibition dubbed China's Hidden Century. Wang says the terms prevent her from disclosing monetary details, which include a license fee and an additional payment that she will donate to a cause that supports translators of Cinephone poetry. The museum apologized to Wang in a statement on its website and says it takes copyright permission seriously and is reviewing its permission process. Wang says her translations of poems by 19th century revolutionary Kui Qin have already been on display for a month when she learned in June of their use, which she said included a giant projection, digital, and print audio guides and signage. Wang says the deal finally came together on Friday, and she's glad the museum has, quote, come around. She says it's frustrating that it only did so after she obtained legal representation. To hear an interview with Yilin about this experience, listen to the BCMA podcast published last week. Archaeological dig uncovers remnants of Wasatnich village dating back more than 1,000 years. An archaeological dig on the southern Vancouver Island has uncovered remnants from an ancient Wasatnich village dating back centuries. The dig, happening in what is now known as Agate Park in Saanich, BC's Cordova Bay, has taken place during the month of July, where several anthropology students have been on site learning proper techniques. What they found is the remnants of an ancient village site of Telich, which the Wasatnich people say is surrounded by burial sites and fishing grounds. It's estimated that 250 people lived at the site in the past. According to Brian Tom, an associate professor with the Anthropology Department at the University of Victoria, the site was the center of the South Saanich Treaty in 1852, which was promised to set aside the village site and enclosed fields for the nation to use, although it was never actually set aside. He said Spanish naval maps from the late 1700s show two longhouses at Tel Each. In 2008, 350 artifacts and the remains of 14 ancestors dating back 1,000 years were uncovered during excavations to develop a waterfront home in the area. Those artifacts were taken to the Royal BC Museum. At the most recent dig in Agate Park, researchers are uncovering things like hunting tools, remains from food, and fire hearths. As the dig wraps up, Researchers will produce several reports on their findings, Tom said, which will be made publicly available. They also plan to do presentations to show people what they've found and learned about life in the area hundreds of years ago. Artifacts will be handed over to the Royal BC Museum after being analyzed. Tom said the Wasatnich are working to have all artifacts at the museum repatriated as a group and are aware that those found during the dig will be part of that. For Roger Charlie, a member and spiritual leader of the Sartlip First Nation, who has been on the site for the past six weeks, the dig has had even more meaning. I've been learning about our people for years, Charlie said. He grew up hearing stories of canoes, ceremonies, and feasts, and how his people traveled through the area. Traditionally, there are four Wasatnich nations, including the Sartlip, Sakem, 
Zayot and Pakuchin. Until now, he's never been able to visualize it. Charlie said, I can feel that strength that our people had back then. It feels like I came home. Canada's oldest Chinese temple in Victoria throws fundraiser for repairs. Tam Khan Temple in Victoria is the country's oldest Chinese temple. Founded in 1876, but destroyed by fire in 1911, it was rebuilt in 1912. On September 23rd, it's holding a fundraiser for much-needed restorations. Nora Butts has been the president of the temple for more than 10 years. She said the roof and windows are leaking, ruining the floors and balcony. The estimate for renovations is an intimidating $650,000, but fortunately for Tamkong Temple, the Victoria City Heritage Trust has dedicated $200,000, but only after the work is completed. We have to pay everything up front first, and then they reimburse us after the work is done, says Nora, the temple's president for more than 10 years. The Victoria Foundation also recently donated to the temple, and there was a dinner held by Charlene Thornton-Joe, a former city councillor in Victoria and facilities coordinator at the Chinese Canadian Museum. The Autumn Moon Festival Banquet is hosted by the Victoria Chinatown Lioness Lion Club, and all proceeds will be going to the temple. Tickets are $80 before August 15th, and then they'll become $88. Participants will be able to dine on an eight-course Chinese dinner, including a popular treat called mooncakes. Aside from delicious food, there will be prizes, an auction, and raffle items. The event takes place at Don Mi Seafood Restaurant in Chinatown. The temple is the best-kept secret in Victoria. Nobody knows it's there, she said except for the Chinese community, and even some of them don't know we had a temple there, because we've kept it really low profile before, so we've never had much publicity. We can achieve the impossible. Nishka delegation to return home with memorial poll. Successful Nishka poll return was initially negotiated without a lawyer, using traditional songs and ways, showing, quote, we can achieve the impossible, says delegation member. When a Nishka delegation traveled to Scotland in August 2022 to ask for the return of a memorial pole that was stolen in 1929 and later sold to the National Museum of Scotland in Edinburgh, they had no idea whether they would succeed. The homecoming was won through negotiations that leaned deeply on traditional Nishka ways. Quote, I never set out believing we would be successful, but I thought it was important to try, said Amy Parent, a Canadian research chair in Indigenous education at Simon Fraser University, who was part of the negotiation and delegation. Parent, also known as Noxwayat, had researched the poll and learned it was created in honor of Sawit, an ancestor who was killed in a conflict with the Tismayan people and belonged to her great-great-grandmother. Her research shows that Marius Barbeau, a Canadian ethnographer who removed and sold dozens of totem poles, had detailed the theft of the poles in his note, which he later took to Edinburgh and sold. The first hurdle was that the museum's repatriation policy stated that no belonging could be released unless it went to a national government. Quote, We had to prove and explain we were a self-determining nation and what that meant, said Parent. The Nishka's right to self-governance was set out in May 11th, 2000, when the Nishka and governments of Canada and British Columbia signed the Nishka Treaty. They needed to show that the Nishjul Pole wasn't just an object, it was a living being and a member of their family. Quote, 
There was a lot of pressure, a lot of uncertainty and stress. We didn't know what we were walking into, said Parent. They were on Scottish territory and bound by its colonial conventions and formalities. But now, the Canadian Armed Forces will be flying the pole home to Canada. A public arrival ceremony will be held at the Niska village on the village of Luxgalpis on September 29th, where it will be housed and available for the public to view. Quote, what we want is for our children not to have to work so hard to learn the stories of who they are and where they come from. The larger story is an understanding that self-determination begins with us. We can achieve the impossible, said Parent. And now it's time for your favorite segment, Who's News? Lots of changes at the Vernon Museum and Archives. Gwyneth Evans has been promoted from head of the archives to manager of the archives. She started with the museum as an intern in 2018 and has worked her way up since. Her museum blog is a community favorite. Gwen is also working on her master's in archival studies. Since last spring, Wesley Vernhart has been acting as the project advisor to the Vernon Museum and Archives Board and has been assisting the museum while they've been between directors. The museum is in the planning phase of their move to a new cultural center. Wesley was previously the director of the Museum and Archives of Northern Vancouver and has valuable experience overseeing transitions for museums into new buildings. This summer, Lysha Rosno moved on from the Vernon Museum and Archives to become the new director of the Satani Center. This is a perfect fit for her as she previously wrote Little Fortress, a work of fiction based on the true history of the Satani family. The Vernon Public Art Gallery would also like to welcome Laurel Schwartz to their gallery team as the new gallery attendant. In May of this year, Manova, the Museum and Archives of North Vancouver, appointed Zoe Makoff de Miranda as director. Born and raised in North Vancouver, with a wealth of knowledge in the arts, culture, and technology sectors, Zoe is a welcomed leader at the Manova. In July, Manova appointed Rebecca Pash as archivist, Rebecca also hails from North Vancouver and brings with her many years of experience in municipal archive work. Lastly, Manova has appointed Andrea Teron Gomez as curator. Andrea's anthropological and curatorial work in her native country of Guatemala, as well as in Japan, introduces a global perspective to Manova's team. Back to you, Ryan. Thanks, Leah. This has been Muse News for August 2023. If you have a story you'd like to share for our Who's News on Muse News section, email us at bcma.museum.bc.ca. We look forward to seeing you next month for the latest Muse News.